Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Our guest for today is the Vice President of Wise Real Estate Advisors and President of the Institute of Real Estate Management Chapter in Oregon. She is an active member of several organizations like Fresh and Revitalize Portland Coalition and has chaired several committees for industry organizations. Here to discuss about diversion, equity, and inclusion and how to empower and elevate real estate professionals by getting involved in different organizations. Let's welcome Shannon West. All right. Today we have Shannon West with us. She's an Associate Vice President at Wise Real Estate Advisors and also the president of the IRAM Oregon Columbia River chapter. Shannon, thanks so much for coming on the show today. We usually start out with having you tell us a little bit, how did you get into real estate and kind of where are you at now? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I started out, I was a history poli-sci major in undergrad. Real estate really not on my radar. I was ruling things out, I think, in undergrad as I tried different avenues. I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. I didn't want to be a teacher. I interned in DC, didn't want to be a speechwriter or politician. And by the end of it, I was thinking maybe nonprofits, but I still really wasn't sure. So I moved back home with my mom in Cincinnati and was applying for jobs. She was working with a recruiter at the time for herself and had a conversation about me being a recent graduate. And so I was placed at a law firm in Cincinnati who had just purchased their office buildings. So there were two 13-story office buildings in downtown Cincinnati. And I was brought on basically as a building project coordinator. So the I reported directly to the CFO of the law firm, but she didn't have time to come downstairs and supervise tenant build outs and things like that. So I was there with my notebook, listening to the general contractors and the tenants have conversations about their punch lists and those sort of things. And then I would type it up with my meeting minutes, report to the CFO if she had questions or directives. I took care of all of that. So that was great experience. But even while doing that, it never occurred to me, hey, I could do this professionally. I got to have some experience with MRI and collecting rents from the third-party tenants that were in the building. But I was also assisting with financial projects for the law firm. And then the unique twist here is that the CEO's son was getting married. There was a 15,000 square foot vacancy in the building that had been the Contemporary Arts Center. And it had been vacant for about 10 years when I started. And his son was getting married. So they decided that the wedding was going to happen there and that that would be an event venue. And they were basically like, we're going to upgrade that space you know, the financing is here, make it a business. So I got to do that and basically was serving in those three roles simultaneously for two years and a lot of pressure on myself. So I decided straight out of college. Yeah. So wow. it was a great experience, <laughs> but 
It was a lot. And that kind of incentivized me to, once I realized I had saved up money by living with mom to make the move to Portland. So I did that. No job lined up, had never been to Portland, but made the move and then became an office administrator for the Multnomah Bar Association. So the law connection kind of traveled with me. But two years into that, I decided, you know, I didn't love that. And I was looking at just making lateral moves and that didn't feel right. So I went back to school and got my MBA at Concordia, specialized in project management because I was thinking with the wedding and building management, I really liked the project aspect of it. And that was great experience. I consider myself a lifelong learner, but if I could be paid to be a professional student, I would absolutely do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Me too. (laughs) Wouldn't it be the best? So after I graduated, I think it was like two weeks after I graduated from the MBA program, I saw the job at WISE on LinkedIn, applied for it, got it. It all happened pretty quickly because I saw everything in the job description and thought I've done that, done that, done that. I can do this. So fell back into it, even though there was some prior experience and it's just been a really great fit ever since. Again, I am learning every single day. I've had really great opportunities to continue with professional development, get into construction management, real estate advising and consulting. I think next up for me is learning more about investing. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit just about what WISE does and then what you do for them now? Yeah. So WISE was founded in 1988 by Bill WISE, and he was a lawyer here in Portland. He mostly worked with ERISA funds and pension trusts. And when he retired from practicing law, he set up WISE as a mortgage company initially. And then I think about a year into it, in 1989, they acquired some properties or at least the management of properties that their clients had purchased or already owned. If I'm off on any of those facts, I'll follow up with corrections. But <laughs> And eventually we started focusing more on commercial property management, although continued advising and consulting services along the way. Also, our shareholders have a wide breadth of knowledge in investing and lending services, all of that good stuff. So My time here primarily up to this point has been concentrated on commercial property management as a company. I think we manage around 120 commercial properties. Portfolio is about 18 properties. It's a mix of office, industrial, and retail. Awesome. Yeah. So you just moved from Cincinnati, just kind of out of the blue. How did you find Portland? I think it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. I had started joking about it in college. And this is before Portlandia was on TV. So I really don't know. I probably knew <laughs> about Portland. I knew I didn't want to go to California because I didn't want to be a trend follower. Um, and then, of course, the year I moved, Ohio was in the top four states people were leaving. And Oregon was in the top four people were coming to. So <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, Portland has changed quite a bit since you first arrived. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share kind of your experience, like having come as a a newcomer and then, you know, kind of watching, like, it's almost been a full cycle here. It's very, like, for me, it's bizarre. But yeah, I like, you know, AJ and I have kind of been attached to Portland almost our entire lives. We were born here 
moved to Arizona, but we would come back every summer. And so I'd be very interested to hear your take on kind of what's going on. I've been fortunate to live close in since I arrived in 2013. I first lived off of West Burnside and then North Portland, just a street or two away from Mississippi. And now I live in Southeast between Belmont and Hawthorne. So those are great areas, great neighborhoods. I love how walkable it is because you don't really find that in Cincinnati. But I do see a lot of parallels. I mean, they're both river towns. They both have the hills and obviously Portland's more exciting to me because there's the ocean and mountain. And, you know, I think the amenities in the area are what draw and keep people here. But yeah, coming from Cincinnati, when I was growing up, it was a commuter town. Like people didn't maybe went downtown to work, but after five, they mm-hmm. cleared out. and that's changed a lot. I think a lot of Midwestern cities built up their riverfronts and sports stadiums and turned things around. So it absolutely is a cycle. And that gives me hope for Portland, having watched it become less safe and, you know, go through all the things that have come with COVID and the social unrest. But again, even Cincinnati, I think the riots were in 2001. I feel like my family was going out of town for Easter weekend, if I'm remembering that correctly. And that was really scary listening on the radio. So it was kind of jarring, but also familiar in a way. And having just the family call and say, oh, we saw this on the news. Are you okay? And I was okay. You know, the actual protests in Portland were pretty concentrated around the courthouse. But, well, not the protests, but the, you know, actual... Demonstrations. (laughs) So it's really interesting. And I've been the last two years or so getting more involved with groups like Revitalized Portland Coalition and some leadership programs just for my own personal development and also because I want to be aware of what's happening in my city and community and you know I think that's a benefit to our business and clients as well to know what's happening and to have important and difficult conversations positive change where we can so that everyone can bounce back and Come back better. Yeah. Awesome. Diving into that just a little bit further, like what do you, you know, you, you mentioned making positive change, you know, as property managers or as real estate professionals or as investors, like what are you seeing that we can do? I think one education, and that's something I really like about being involved with these groups. I have not seen anyone come in and say, you know, this is the right answer. It's been, let's get more information with RPC. I've been on the crime and safety committee and we started with informational interviews of past district attorneys and public defenders. We met with a bureau specialist in the police department. So just learning more from the different perspectives and not assuming that we do know the right answer. I mean, I think a lot of people within real estate do have answers and good solutions to some of the problems that we're facing. But I think being really thoughtful, listening first, educating ourselves, but right, we're managing the properties that these issues are happening around, tents on the street, the drug addiction, graffiti, crime, livability crimes. We're seeing that firsthand and, you know, we know what the issues are. And I think 
identifying them is probably easy, but coming up with those solutions does need to be done in a really careful way so that it's effective. I mean, I think some of the sweeps that are happening downtown, you know, it's nice to see, you know, that there aren't tents on the street after two years of having them there, but I also manage properties out in the suburbs. So are you then pushing people out because we do see activity increase there? So I don't know that I have the answers yet, but, you know, I think it's important to be thinking about it and getting to that point where we can have concrete solutions. And for our listeners, they're nationwide. So Portland, you know, has been in the national news. And I think that the RPC, the Revitalized Portland Commission, has kind of come out of some of that backlash in order to maybe help facilitate policy to improve like the downtown corridor, right? Is in Portland, mostly like in Southwest Portland, kind of like where the large buildings are. I think I was at a symposium, I think on Tuesday, and they indicated that like the retail and office space is at like a 25% vacancy or higher in that specific area in Portland. In the downtown core. But yeah, that's a big problem. And part of it's public image. Part of it's also COVID and remote work. And yeah, we've got some big challenges ahead of us. Oh, cool. Well, as so you, met- oh, you mentioned education, you know, being a part of the Revitalized Portland Commission. And I mean, it, for me, like most of that information that I'm getting is from the news or Willamette Week or Oregon Live. And like those are just headlines. It's it's tough to like take in those headlines and actually turn it into something of value as opposed mm-hmm. to just kind of like being shocked. Right. And I'm experiencing that it's really tough to educate yourself, like because there's just not that much information, like good information out there. I think that's true, but I also attended the event that AJ mentioned on Tuesday and I left, I mean, a lot of it was not good news, right? But I left feeling very motivated because people are thinking ahead two years from now to the next election and, you know, what do we do between now and then to make a difference? And you have a panel of experts who are presenting data and are doing the research and those are your resources to answer those questions and become more informed. So I think a group like Revitalized Portland Coalition is really powerful. And that was born out of Jordan Schnitzer's keynote address for the IRM forecast breakfast two years ago, where he kind of called for the real estate and business community to come together and work with the city to address these issues that we were seeing just happen over and over and over again. So I think getting involved in associations and paying attention to the resources and information that they're collecting and distributing is an easy way to get engaged and become involved. And talking about getting people involved along with that comes the diversity and equity and inclusion aspects. Like, do you have any ideas or thoughts on how to, I mean, maybe even bring more people into the fold on how to do it or what to do or. Yeah. I mean, one of my goals as president of the, Iron chapter here in Portland this year is to increase engagement that really dipped during COVID. And I think IRM also has a challenge. The CPM is widely recognized as a you know, certified property manager as a designation for people who have a commitment to IRM's ethics and go through the training, have 
learned how to do property management and do it well, best practices, all of that. I think it's great. But I think a lot of times our members to carry that designation and not necessarily to come to events or be involved with committees, whereas with other associations, I think that's more of the driver. So I think it's really important to be reaching out to people who maybe haven't considered a leadership position before, particularly women or minorities or people new to the industry who might not see themselves in those roles yet, because in my experience, taking on more in the past two years, it's built my confidence. I mean, even coming on this podcast today, you know, this is a little out of my comfort zone, but <laughs> I say yes to things that, you know, a week ago I wasn't thinking about. So I think, you know, on the diversity front specifically, I have had the opportunity to participate in some workshops and conversations that were facilitated by consultants that Iram brought in, even when I was at the Multnomah Bar Association, we did some of that work with that board. So I think on a personal education front, there's a lot of information online and in books on microaggressions and unconscious bias. And I think if employers and companies take the time to do those types of trainings internally, that goes a long way. And then I think you know, representation matters, which is really how me being here today evolved. I wasn't seeing myself on this podcast in particular. So again, saying yes to this, what better way to literally see myself in a space than to put myself there. And I think that's a lesson beyond what employers, companies, industries, institutions can do to increase diversity. But it's also that unconscious bias within ourselves where we've limited ourselves just because we aren't seeing ourselves reflected in a particular space. I think making that leap to do what you did and invite someone on a podcast or to a meeting or to participate on a board and then also that person to have enough exposure to, to say yes, if that makes sense. It's a little bit risky, right? Like you are something new for you. And when there's a challenge or something new, like there's that kind of like self-confidence, like, am I able to do that? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, how do we empower more people to have that self-confidence? Like, I think we were talking about this earlier today with, you know, potential investors is like, we were talking with a doctor and a lot of the doctors like don't see themselves as real estate investors because they're fearful of that change, that newness. And we're, you know, like Chris and I have been in real estate investing for 15 years and we're like, well, this isn't new. This is easy. Like, this is kind of like second nature. So like, I guess, you know, in if once that is the fear is like identified, like there's generally ways to like get around it. But like, sometimes like the hardest part is just identifying that it is an actual fear. Yeah. I do think it's almost a muscle you have to flex learning how to take risks to have that growth mindset. You know, the, I think the thoughts still come like, who am I, or I'm afraid to do this. What if I fail? What if it's terrible? And I think you get to a point where, so what? I mean, I think preparation is necessary. Like I would not go invest in a property with zero research or not having the right connections or resources, you know, like 
that would not be smart, but just getting more comfortable in learning, trying new things, really pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and having the support from others. So I think there's also that balance of having enough people around you who focus on your strengths and point out what you are doing well and help you build that confidence to keep trying, you know, kind of pick you up when you fall. And I think that everyone can do that for the people around them. I think it takes awareness and effort sometimes, but I think that's how you get other people elevated into positions where they are willing to take those risks and try new things and yeah, get out of their comfort zones. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. I agree with you that like using the associations and committees, like that's a great kind of way to get some experience at a low, low risk too, right? Like it's kind of when yeah. within a community of your peers and, you know, coming in, being able to do some additional work. And I mean, really it comes down to like, will you put your hand up and say, yes, I'll do something, right? Yeah. Well, it, most of it's volunteer work. I mean, it's almost <laughs> all volunteer work. So if somebody's willing to do something, generally they'll get welcomed in with open arms. So what motivated you, Shannon, to step up and say yes to working on the board in IRAM and, you know, elevating yourself? Did you have any fear when you did step up to that position? And if you did, how did you identify it? And then how did you get past that obstacle? I think that I did have some fear, but I also knew that there was really a hole in our pipeline. There wasn't anybody else to do it at the moment that I was asked. And that has always been a motivator for me in my leadership journey. <laughs> I love a leader who will do it because no one else is. <laughs> but I think that's a re very real thing for people. And then the more you do things like that, it's like, oh, yes, I can do this. And with the associations in particular, when we were doing the wedding venue business, trying to figure that out. We joined event management groups and went to their continued learning. The Bar Association, I helped with the board, both the main board and the Young Lawyers Board, and helped set up CE classes and things like that. So I understand how associations operate. And I knew that even though I didn't have board experience myself, I could step in and help restructure the committees, build up engagement, 
I did cold calling last summer to try to get new people on the board and fill committee chair spots. So that was new for me, but that's a very tangible skill that I was able to build through IRM and this experience. And I think, again, it is just saying yes, trying things and learning that you can do it and like, you know, repeat. So you mentioned that you're interested in real estate investing. And so how do you think that your journey has kind of like led you here? And how do you think someone could learn from your journey? I think, I mean, I do think investing is the next step. You know, I would probably be content being a career property manager. I like what I do. It's fun, but I also do want to keep learning all the time. And, you know, when I look at next steps or potential paths, which there's a lot of directions to go right in real estate, mm-hmm. yeah, brokerage development, so much. But I think asset management and then really learning how to advise people on refinancing mortgages, those types of things. I'm just thinking now, I don't think I had a finance class until grad school, which that's kind of talking about our education system because it's such an important <laughs> And so, I mean, I do monthly financial reports, budgets, camera reconciliations. Now I've learned all of that. And I think it's really interesting and, you know, often a fun break from the calls and meetings and chaos of the day to be able to sit down and dig into a spreadsheet. So I think next for me makes sense to do CCIM. And when you're watching other people invest in the school and make money, you know, I think there is always that question of how do I do that? And why am I not doing that myself too? So I think kind of one of the things we wanted to touch on is like, maybe what are your thoughts to get more people like you into the investing space? And like, how do we reach them and share with them, you know, kind of the path to progress, I guess I want to say. I think that is a very good question. And I don't know that I have a direct answer other than doing kind of what I've done with IRM and the outreach there. And I always ask people what they are interested in too. That's one of my first questions. I try to see where they'll fit within the organization. And the things that motivate people are very different and their interests are different. I have gone back since I made my comments to you originally and started listening to your podcast. So I'm on episode 13 now. (laughs) A lot of times that I... I'm not that familiar with, I mean, I may have heard before, right? But I think, you know, I'm a prime example of how to do it now because (laughs) I am listening and learning about syndication, wholesaling, like all of this, which is pretty new and I will have to do more research. But, you know, the more I listen and learn and hear the different avenues, I think it will be easy to zero in on what makes the most sense for me. So I think it's exposure, having conversations and just continuing to repeat. Yeah. And I mean, in some aspect, like I hear what you're saying and what I'm hearing a little bit is like just being open to opportunity of like, you know, that what there's that fear of the unknown. And, but like, if you are willing to say yes or try it and like, understand that there's probably not very much of a downside, if any, and being willing to say yes. And I'm talking about investing, but also volunteering and sharing your time kind of with other people as well. Shannon knows I'm a big proponent of volunteering and educating and 
helping people out as much as I can. So I think both Chris and I, you know, even by doing this podcast, like providing education and, you know, introducing people to new terms and ways in real estate to make progress. So I think that's awesome. I think it's really important work. Well, one of the beauties of real estate is that it's not a zero sum game and that, you know, there's unlimited opportunity and all it has to be is uncovered. And AJ and I have relied on countless others who have significantly more experience than us. And we absolutely love helping anyone who wants or needs help and is willing to ask. And so that's one of the great things about real estate. And we always say that, you know, rising tide raises all ships. And that's one of the reasons why Revitalized Portland Commission is so important, you know, and, and there's also like an element of, you know, cities go through cycles. And this is, you know, this is a big cycle. It's probably one of the biggest Portland has seen. But with those cycles, there are opportunities. And, you know, there is going to be a ton of opportunity, especially in downtown Portland. And, you know, as we kind of climb up out of, you know, the bottom of this cycle. And the question is, you know, who is going to take that opportunity? And I think that it is a, you know, an awesome mission to promote equity. And so AJ and I are absolutely willing to help in every possible way that we can. Excellent. That's good to know. Well, why don't we get on to our last four questions? All right, Shannon, I start off with the first question here and then it's what's (laughs) one piece of advice you would give to your 25 year old self? I think that I would just reassure my 25 year old self to take that very literally. I think 24 was when I moved to Portland. So I like the path that I was on at that point. But I think I would have said, you know, trust the timing. You're going to figure things out. It's going to be okay. Because I do think I was, I mean, that was a huge risk to move to Portland. I was already learning some of the skills and I think mindset shifts were being made that have carried me to today that were really important. So I think I'd just say stick with that path. Awesome. All right. What was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? So I have not taken much of my own money and risked it for profit. But I think to your point earlier about the associations being a good place to practice skills, I think that has kind of been my unconscious strategy in my career. I mean, the wedding venue, we didn't have to do fundraising for that. The capital was already there to redo that space, to build the website. We worked with the law firm's IT department. A lot of it was in-house. They were big on vertical integration. So joining those associations, building the network, learning how to network was really important. And sales pitching, I did not think that I was capable of that before I did the wedding sales. But I remember really getting my elevator pitch down, doing tours of the space with rides and rooms and being successful. I think almost all of the tours I did ended up in the venue being booked. So that was very rewarding. And I think that did plant the seed that eventually led me to getting my MBA and thinking about business 
shifting. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like I a high know. close rate. <laughs> <laughs> You're not asking enough people then. Your close rate's too high. <laughs> But yeah, that's an entire business you essentially built with a little bit of help of some partners. But, you know, you don't need just money to have it be an entrepreneurial endeavor. Like your time and sweat equity is generally, you know, how most people get started in entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's true. Awesome. The next question is, how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? I think you know that I'm going to say all of it matters and has been important. But absolutely, I think that is true. Girl Scouts, when I was in grade school, we did bake sales, lemonade stands. I think we organized a fashion show event at one point. That was all, obviously, the cookie sales. In high school, I did journalism. We had to sell the ads for our newspaper and yearbook. And I remember that being a terrifying experience for me. And I remember my dad asking, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I said, they could say no. (laughs) (laughs) And I wasn't okay with it at that point. So I think that's another entrepreneurial skill, learning how to say no, maybe come back and make the request again. And yeah, college, I did a lot of community organizing. I've always been a hard worker. So I had jobs that I actually didn't really quit for several years. So I (laughs) kept my high school all the way through college. I would work that on breaks and I had three on-campus jobs. But yeah, I've always been a hard worker. I think all of that is really valuable experience. Obviously my formal training at Butler University and Concordia were amazing opportunities for me interning in DC. Again, saying yes to opportunities like that when they were available, I think is really valuable getting my broker's license. I did that pretty quickly once I got into property management. I think I started at WISE in June. I took the test for Oregon that September and then Washington has reciprocity. So I did that in October of that year. The CPM through IRM, you know, and it's not really the certifications that matters to me. I don't think it's being competent. I want as much information as I can get from the people who are most qualified to present it. And it, it is fun. I was serious about if I could be a professional student, I would be. So the more programs that come across my screen that I can sign up for, the better. Okay. And our final question, what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? This is a chain of command lesson, but it was my first office building that I was really onboarding from a different property management company. Because when I started, I was not replacing somebody added to the property management team to kind of lighten everybody's load. So the first year was great. I had all the information in our system already. If it wasn't there, the person who had managed the property previously was usually sitting right next to me. And those answers came really quickly. But for this building, it was a 68,000 square foot office building. It's a pretty big project. And I was still relatively new. And I was walking it with vendors. We were identifying things that we could do to improve the look of the building, things that maybe had been neglected previously or just not kept up well. And one of the items we identified was the lighting. They were all mismatched, you know, different temperatures throughout the building. 
And so we were looking to make them uniform. And I asked someone who did work for my client, but not the appropriate contact to ask. And I didn't know much about lighting then. So I said, do we want the white lights or the yellow lights? They said white. We did the entire building in all matching white lights. And then the client's general contractor came in about a week later. And he was very nice about it. But he said, I noticed that all the lights match now. That's really nice. But that's not the building standard. And it's the exact opposite of what we want. So I had to go back to the vendor. And fortunately, they saved all the boxes. They were able to take the lights that had replaced what we thought was the incorrect temperature lights out and they returned them. So it ended up not being a very expensive mistake, but for time and labor for the technicians who had to do the replacement, I did feel really bad about that. So that was a good lesson in not just double checking before making a decision, but double checking with the correct party so that you have information. Make sure you're talk, talking to the decision maker, right? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and documenting things like light bulbs should you be using in the building and keeping track of that is really helpful. So those were some good lessons learned early on. Well, awesome. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, thank you for being on the show today. If any of our listeners want to get a hold of you and chat more or you know, find out more about some opportunities or ways to get involved with IRAM or more diversion and inclusion and equity, how should they get a hold of you? You can find me on LinkedIn. Are you able to share links if I send that to you? Oh yeah. Well, there'll be a whole mm-hmm. kind of page with links. We'll get all your stuff. So, but LinkedIn's the best way for listeners. And that's mm-hmm. Shannon, Shannon West on in LinkedIn out of Portland. Yep. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show today and stepping up and coming out. We enjoyed interviewing you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yep. Great job. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on Win, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.